Welcome to Know Your Gear QA Podcast 213, brought to you by today's sponsor, which is Three String Bass. Ibanez, Prestige Boy, came early and says, do you think Gibson Demo Shop on Reverb is worth it? So if you don't know what the Gibson Demo Shop on Reverb is, uh, Gibson has a Reverb Shop where they sell prototypes sometimes, factory blemishes, used stuff, you know, so like if it was used for maybe a, a, a photo spread or something like that, and they, they let this off, uh, they let this stuff go. Sometimes they're just conceptual models, not even prototypes, just literally things that will never happen. So that's what it is. You can check that out on Reverb. It's called the Gibson Demo Shop. He says, uh, they're not priced that much different from new online retailers, okay? Does the fact that they're stamped demo or mod kill the resale value? That is a yes and no answer, and here's why it's important. This is why you want to be intuitive and you want to know what you're buying if you're going to buy one of those instruments. Um, yeah, in if it's the right guitar, if it's cool enough, it's unique enough, it's interesting enough, the fact that it was there actually probably gives it more value. However, if it's not that interesting and it's not that exciting, yeah, now you just have a B-stock B -stock guitar that you may have saved a little money, if not much on. So yeah, you have to be savvy. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's the best decision or best uh, best product to be there. Uh, I've looked many times and like you guys, I see stuff and I go, wow, that's, I, a lot of times I feel like I'm shocked the other way. I'm always like, wow, that's pretty cheap for what they're, for what it is. Like if I was, if I was Gibson, I'd be marketing this as like opportunity purchases. Like check this out before it's too late kind of thing. But I think they've been pretty fair on the prices I've seen most of the time uh, from when I look, but I'm not going to lie. I don't look too often. So uh, I kind of checked it out a couple of times. You know, I, I tend not to purchase in that. That's not my mindset of purchase. Like I'm not looking for just something like I'm not looking for, you know what I mean? Usually if I make a guitar purchase, I'm very specific of what I'm looking for at this point. That's uh, very rarely do I walk by something and go, Whoa, I've never seen that. I got to have it. That that's exciting when it happens, but it's not the majority. It's not even, it doesn't even have much at all for me. <laughs> it's very like, I'm very specific about what I want and why I'm wanting it. Uh, Let's see. And it gets worse each year because, you know, at this point in my collecting of guitars, uh, my collection's pretty done. Like, I mean, it's been done for years. I've just been slowly curating little pieces here and there out of it and in it. But yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to add to it at this point. Um, if there's anything left to get at this point for me, it's just literally like, you know, outliers of strange stuff. Um, okay. What else? Um, and then I saw a little discussion just cause it ties into the Katana talk and stuff, a little discussion about, uh, okay. So Sean Brooks said, uh, the Katana isn't a modeling amp question mark. I thought it's basically a rolling cube rebranded. Uh, as far as I know, uh, Roland engages, Roland Boss engages in the Cosm modeling stuff. So there's some modeling Cosm technology and things, but for the most part, they're still building transistor type amplifiers for the most part. I'm not an amp person. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't build them. I don't design them. I don't work on them. So my, my, my knowledge of amps and their total inner workings is, is really limited to just being around them for, you know, decades. And, uh, and it's just what I hear my amp friends saying and stuff when they're discussing stuff. To me, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't matter what the amps built like, uh, whether it's an all tube or partial tube or hybrid or solid state or digital, there's all kinds of mixes of that stuff. But I think the best way to take away is it's where the, 
the sound is coming from, what it's being gener generated with is what I take away from that knowledge. And in Roland's case, most the tone is being generated with components versus a chip, if that if that makes sense. I think the Cosm's limited to just like some of the effects. And again, that's a very layman's just general thing. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's an amp freak and knows all the right answers and will give them to you. But uh, that's why. And it's uh, the reason I say that is when I, that was explained to me once, I thought it was interesting because that's kind of how what my ear was interpreting was this sounded a little bit more familiar. Digital, you know what it is? That's, you know what? I'm, I love these discussions sometimes for me, sometimes more so than for you guys. I think that's the problem I have with digital. It's not that it's, like I said, it's not good or bad. It's familiarity. I'm familiar with the sound of a tube amp and a solid state amp. And it's, in other words, I've heard it for so many years that I want to hear it when it's good or bad. I know what it is. Digital is still this thing. Every time I hear it, it's like I haven't, my brain hasn't determined what in digital is good and bad yet. For, I, I feel like, I feel literally like you could give me a digital product. I don't care what it is, an amplifier, a modeling unit, whatever. And I play it and for a moment I love it and then a moment later I hate it and then I'm, I go back and forth constantly. I can't, I can't really grab onto it. And so maybe that's what it is. It's familiarity. It's so new, even though digital's been around forever, it's so new comparatively speaking to my ears and my experience I don't have this like, you know, oh man, that's how it sounds when it's right. It's it's always like, you know, weird to me. Uh, and I, I've had this experience many times. In fact, with my Spark Amp, even recently again, I love the Spark Amp and then I'll plug into some days and I'm like, why does it sound like a wah pedal's cocked all the time on it? And I think something changed and I, and it's just, maybe it's this dad day, it's my ear, but it's, it's constantly digital is this like... I don't even want to say love hate because it's never that extreme. It's like not like as much experience almost daily with digital stuff for me. The only exception, which is really important to me, is uh, digital for recording purposes. Man, it really makes life easy. <laughs> it's what it is. It's great. Okay, um, go back uh, one more. We got uh, Caboose the Moose says, "Hey Phil." Uh, no, he just says, hey, hey, he says, I paid a guy $10 on reverb. Oh, I don't know. I didn't think they did that stuff on reverb. I don't think, I think this is like 2PG. I'm just kidding, dude. You say you paid a guy on $10 on reverb this week for a picture. Could you imagine if I just stopped there? <laughs> Honey, what are you doing? I'm just paying a guy on reverb 10 bucks for a picture. <laughs> of what? Nothing nefarious. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I'm done busting your chops. Ah, uh, Caboose the Moose said uh, he paid a guy 10 bucks on reverb for a picture of his wiring and his guitar. Uh, he had the same one as uh, he did, which is a Godin LGX SA, and I thought mine was messed up, and it's fixed now. Uh, that's smart, man. That's solving a problem. 10 bucks, I would have took that money. You know what I mean? Uh, you'd say, hey, Phil, take a picture of your guitar and send it to me for 10 bucks so I can fix this. The only suggestion I have is great. I love that thinking. Like, I got a problem. You know, that fixes it. Literally, like, you could have took it to a tech and paid him up the butt to figure it out. Or you could pay somebody 10 bucks and fix it yourself. Uh, smart, genius. I love it. Only suggestion I have for others is, uh, and I'm assuming maybe you did this, and if not, if it didn't occur to you, I'm giving the suggestion, which is uh, you could always go on like a golden forum. Try forums sometimes is what I'm trying to say. Say, hey, I have this guitar. Does anyone have it? Can you take a picture of it? A lot of times, just community-wise, people will do that stuff. Same here. I'm sure if you said it here on the live show, a lot of people in the community, if they have that guitar, they would have no problem taking a picture and send it to you. Not like 10 bucks is a big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it's not the end of the world. It's not a fortune by any means. And you solved your problem. I, like I said, I, I applaud the, the process and what you did, but, uh, uh, but <laughs> like I said, I just wanted to give a suggestion, maybe how to put 10 bucks back in your pocket. Um, Mr. Fancy hand says, Hey Phil, I wonder if you have insight into pricing of guitars. Okay. So for example, he says, why does the PRS silver sky cost 23? He's talking euros. I just want to stay U S for my mindset. Uh, let's say, tw- cause I think it's 23, is it $2,300 in the U S too? It is $2,299. So $2,300 and the American pro two, which is from Fender is $1,700. What causes such a difference in cost? Well, first, I think the first exception in that Mr. Fancy is, uh, that those two guitars would not be the two guitars that I would, uh, correlate to each other or compare. So to me, to figure out in price range where the Silver Sky is priced, you would want to go to a Fender artist guitar, like let's say the Eric Johnson or the Yngwie Malmsteen or the Clapton. And I think the Eric Johnsons are two grand, so less, obviously. And the John Mayer, of course, you could go back to the John Mayer when it's Fender, but with inflation stuff, that doesn't make sense. I think the I think the John Mayer, when it left Fender, when he left Fender, I think the street on that had hit $16.99. It might've been $17.99, but I'm pretty sure it was $16.99. So think about this. The John Mayer, when he left John Mayer at Fender, was selling for about the price of a American professional too now. So, so yeah, so uh, you would have to compare it apples to apples. Cause remember they got to pay the royalties to the artist. Um, you know, there's all that stuff they're going to factor in. So when I look and then back to just what I think, just you asked what I think. So I'm just going to tell you, um, if I was Paul Reed Smith, I would charge a premium of my product over Fender regardless. <laughs> Even if it was the same exact specifications. If you guys watched the pedal movie, I, you guys know I talked about that a while ago. Uh, Zachary Vex, C-Vex, uh, is in there interviewed. And I thought it was interesting that he had he said this. It was very, very honest and truthful. He said that when he started his pedal company, he walked into a music store and he showed them their pedals. And they said, what do you charge? And he said, well, what's the most expensive boutique pedal you sell? Which at the time, I think he said was full tone. And they told him, and he goes, well, I'm 10% higher than that. I could be misquoting. He could have said a dollar amount, not a percentage. But either way, he goes, I want to be the most expensive pedal in your store. Um, you can hate that attitude. You can love that attitude. I both do those things. So, you know, I hate and love that, <laughs> right? There's a business side of me. They're like, genius. Love you, brother. And then there's this, you know, practical side of me. is like, what? A, you know, that's not the right you should treat people. And But hey, you got to find this middle road for everybody. But this is the important part of the story. If I was Paul Reed Smith, the company, I would charge, even if my stuff was the same as Fender, more than Fender, because I'm trying to be a premium brand. PRS is trying to, was well, was, they were trying to be a premium brand. Now they're just mostly an import brand. That's the majority of what I see from PRS. As you guys know, I review a lot of PRS stuff. And over the years, it's at this point where I'm like, literally, you know, most of the stuff I review is some kind of importy, uh, more priced, affordable product. Um, but that's that's how I see it. So that's where I think it's priced at, you know, I wouldn't dare say fairly, but I would say it's priced at where the market would say it should land. It's priced at uh, slightly above what Fender's selling artist guitars that are made in the USA for, and it's John Mayer. And uh, obviously they know what they're doing because they've sold a gadillion uh, John Mayer guitars. It's insane. It's insane how many John Mayer guitars have been sold. <laughs> so... Uh, Insane. <laughs> I just want to say this again one more time. Uh, when I was at the factory last, which was like 2018, I took tons of photos. And uh, when I was going through the photos, it was it was this 
like epic realization when I was going through the photos. I must have took, you know, because I have a phone like everybody else. I took probably 100 photos of the factory of my phone and every photo had a stack of John Mayer bodies and necks in the, in the, in the picture. In fact, it was almost impossible. They were just littered everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. So, um, so there you go. So obviously, uh, <laughs> that, that was a smart move and apparently the right price. Of course, like you, I want them to do an SE John Mayer Silver Sky. Uh, I want that to happen. You know, it's been rumored. There's prototypes out there and that won't happen. But, and, and, and then I, who knows what they're going to sell that for. My guess has been 1200 bucks. Right, Indonesian John Mayer Silver Sky with gig bag, twelve hundred bucks, maybe a thousand if we're lucky. Who knows? And then we'll have to figure out if that's a fair price. Again, fair price is a weird word <laughs> when you're talking about things you don't need. Fair price is important wording used in like water, electricity, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, access to roads and schools. Fair price becomes a different argument. Just for the record, it becomes a different argument when it's a Rolex watch or a uh, Paul Reed Smith guitar, which is a luxury item by any means. Jesus. <laughs> right. I mean, PRS has never been a company. It's like been very like, Hey, we're trying to be the economic brand for you guys. Right. They've always been the, Hey, if you got the money, come on over. <laughs> I'm going on a weird tangent. Mr. Fan Fancy Hands has a follow-up though. And it says, um, uh, he says, not even just those guitars. Okay, he says, so many guitars that are uh, that ought to be very similar quality and similar quality. So what, he's basically using that uh, logic, which is same for same uh, quality, have different pricing, and I can't see why. Sure. Okay, I love this uh, question, Mr. Fancy Hands. This is my favorite type of discussion to have because this really hones in on the value perspective. And here's where it goes. If value is what matters to you, there is value to be had. When we're talking about guitar stuff, simple. I've told you before. If you want the best quality for the best price, there are companies who give it to you all the time, okay? There are companies that were, and all levels. Like if you just want cheap but plays, that's what a Harley Benton is, man. It's a good guitar and it's cheap as hell and it's plays and you can take it to a gig and, and it looks like either a Gibson or a Fender or an ESP and you have exactly what everyone else has if they have those premium products in the concept of it does, it functions, it sounds, it plays, it's fine. And it's a damn short amount of money. Like I said, the average Harley Benton price, or, or and if you don't like Harley Benton, pick it at brand. There's a ton of those type brands out there. The average price of those guitars are less than some of the parts <laughs> for the guitars they're copying. So... Uh, so if that's what matters to you, you know, right, whether it's your budget or just your desire to not want to pay for a lot of, you know, pay a lot of money for stuff, there it is. If you have a hang up about like, yeah, but I don't like that. I want to buy guitars maybe from your country, whether you're in Germany or Europe, or I know Germany's in Europe, but you get the idea, uh, the U S whatever. Well, then there's brands within every country. That's a little bit more affordable in the U S of course, you can buy some of the stripped down Gibson models, or you can get uh, brand off brand companies like Texas toast or brands where they're, they're smaller shops and they give you a lot more for your money for what they're doing. Uh, I did a video, video yesterday with Kiesel, same thing. I thought the Kiesel was uh, a, a really crazy good price. And I'll tell and I'll defend that in a second too, because some of you guys are gonna have an interesting take on the Kiesel thing. But uh, there's something funny to talk about with that guitar, this guitar right here that I'm pointing at. But my point is, is like there's companies like Godin, there's a uh, uh, Godin, I'm sorry. And uh, there's a lot of ways to get prices. GNL, there's a lot of ways to get a, a lot of value for the price. 
There are companies, though, that are unapologetic about this. And I always find they're the ones that become the discussion on the podcast, which is always strange to me. Paul Reed Smith and Gibson has been giving us the, if you got the money, we have a product for you attitude for decades. They have never been apologetic about it. So when people tell me they're out, they're priced too high, I'm like, yeah, and they don't care, <laughs> right? It's like high-end luxury anything, uh, cars, watches, you name it. They are a brand that, like I told you about the Zachary Fex story, they have said, okay, what's everybody charging? We want to be more than that because we're premium branding. It doesn't mean they're the best. doesn't mean I'm saying you should buy it. It means exactly what I said. They're, they're not, you know. So to answer uh, Mr. Fancy's uh, question about why similar guitars are different prices, well, a lot of times it's branding, but it really always comes down to the old, say, same old story we always say, which is people charge what they can. <laughs> That's what it is. You charge as much as you can, uh, and that means even when somebody says, oh, I'm making stuff affordable, that's just them still charging what they can. They're trying to make stuff affordable. <laughs> Sean Brooks says, why, why doesn't Porsche make affordable cars? Yeah, it's the same, same logic. The, uh, the, uh, yes, I know where you're going with it, but that's the, the point of this. And the reason I talk about this, but keep in mind, here's the beautiful part. Even in today's 2021 crazy market world, you can always find deals. Always always. If that's something that matters to you, it matters to me because, you know, I have enough guitars. I've said this for, you know, for years on the podcast. I'm a broken record. I enjoy buying a guitar. I enjoy playing guitars. I love, I love trying new things. I do this stuff. I need none of this stuff. And, and so if I can do it and justify it in my head to be more affordable or do the right, you know, right by my family and do right by, uh, my desire to want to try new stuff and play stuff and enjoy this stuff, I find the I find the balance for me. So, uh, and then a lot of you guys are talking about some brands. Heritage guitars are also pricey. Well, a lot of brands are becoming more pricey. A lot of brands that were known for being affordable are becoming more pricey real fast. We can see that. Uh, I can tell you right now, if I I see it and daily, uh, I see daily comments on the videos. There's 750 videos I have. Uh, I see at least three or four a day now, which is way more. I, I used to see maybe one a month. I see three or four day now comments saying nice video, Phil. Sometimes if I'm lucky, they say that, but, but they'll say, or I, you know, enjoyed the video or thanks for the video or whatever they're saying. They're talking about the video, sometimes complimentary, sometimes not as much, but it always, there's this precursor that says nice video, but the guitar in the video is now $200 more than you said, or it's a hundred dollars more than you said, or it's double what you said. I'm seeing it more and more now. So obviously we're seeing the prices of the guitars uh, go up considerably fast because it's to the point where I'm seeing it every day. People are like, Hey, nice video, but the guitar is not what you said. It's more because of the inflation and stuff and all the, all the situations in the world. So Okay, um, and then you guys are talking back and forth. Okay, uh, this is Pedro DB says, uh, hi, Phil from the UK. Hey, UK, says, um, Parker Fly fan here. I am a Parker Fly fan as well. Congratulations on your beautiful new white one. Yep, and he says, uh, which version of the Fly pre-refined or refined do you prefer and why? So, uh, I hope you guys will indulge me on this, uh, please. Um, I've told you this, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. I've been to over about 30 guitar factories, 33 to be exact, guitar factories and large shops. Um, 
And uh, it's something I love to do. It's uh, COVID is the first year, last year, 2020 was the first year that I did not go to a factory. I've gone to uh, not even one a year, usually two or three times a year for many years now. I've gone to a shop or factory. Um, and uh, because that's what I love to do. I love to check things out and learn and, you know. And the funny story about the refined and pre-refined is I've been to, I was, I say been to, it doesn't exist anymore. I went to the, the Parker factory. I want to say in 2012, it might've been 2013, around that time, you know, right? Post 2010. <laughs> and um, and it was funny because uh, I, I, and this is answering your question about the refined versus pre-refined. Everybody focuses on the internet. Let me tell you why this sticks in my head, what I'm about to tell you. I went to the Parker factory and I watched them build a Parker fly guitar. This is the only factory I've been to that I've ever had this particular thought. <laughs> I've been to factories where I've been impressed. I've been to factories where I wasn't impressed. I've been to factories where I understood the market and been to factories where I haven't. Uh, when I went to the factory tour at, the, at Parker and I watched them build a Parker, not even at the end, just during the day, I remember thinking, why? Why do they make this guitar? This is so much work. Like, it was, it was the craziest thing I ever watched. By the time I, they completed the, the, the touring of showing me how a guitar was built, I ended with, that is so much work. Why, how could there be any money in this? This doesn't make any sense. I could not reasonably understand why anyone would A, do this, or B, how it's even being done. I watched, I watched them build what I thought was the most complicated thing <laughs> ever seen um in fact it did to this day it's the only one that doesn't feel like i actually watched a guitar being built it was like i watched like i feel like i watched like somebody who's got a a, a multi hundred million dollar contract with nasa to build parts for the shuttle that's what it felt like watching them just carve wood and put epoxy and and carbon and, and do all this stuff now here's why this is an, a, a story that's relevant hopefully to you because it's relevant to me after i watched this what i thought was insanity and left and got home, you know, I flew home because uh, they're in Illinois. I, I got home and I remember thinking like, that was nuts. And then shortly after that, they closed. <laughs> I'm laughing, not because they closed. I'm laughing because, yeah, I could see that in today's day and age. You know what I mean? There's no way the consumer could understand the insane, insane amount of work being put in. So this is why I'm answering your question this way. When people talk about the refined and pre-refined guitars, which is basically before U.S. music and then post-U.S. music, um, there are differences in the guitars. There's all kinds of things. But overall, here's what I learned. Uh, Parkers are not engineered perfection. Parkers are actually just like every guitar, they're extremely hard to get right and they're very easy to get wrong. And some sometimes some are beauties and some are not. The white one that I just bought, I think I said this, I played that guitar in 2013. A customer of mine, who's also a good friend, uh, who, well, he, he was a customer, now he's a good friend. <laughs> so um, he had me work on that guitar and I told him it was my favorite one I ever played and if he ever sells it, I want it. Um, and that's why I bought it. It is a refined. It's, uh, but it doesn't, I didn't buy it for that reason. In fact, I could care less. I've picked up pre-refines that were great. I've picked up, uh, uh, refines that were great. And I've picked up both that were had issues. Cause like I said, when it's, uh, watching them build it, you can tell, I don't want to go into it. It'd take an hour just to explain the process. But, um, but the, um, the, the importance of this is, 
uh, that, like I said, when they when they if they don't do it perfect, it's not the same. You know, it's not what it is. So there you go. All right. Um, let's go to the next question. Do I have any more of the preloaded uh, before the show started questions? Um, oh, here's a quick one. I just want to give it to to quick because it was quick. I grabbed it. It was easy. Uh, Jen said, hey, Phil, I uh, love the show. Um, uh, I, I want to skip all the she's uh, Jen's just saying nice, flattering things. I appreciate that. I want to get to the question. It says, what pickups would you recommend for the PRS S2 Semi Hollow HH? I have that guitar. Uh, I have the Semi Hollow uh, PRS single cut, uh, HH, uh, to make it sound more sparkly, uh, with, uh, this, like this, like with the single coils, but without hum. Oh, um, well, here's, here's the kick. Uh, you can't, <laughs> not really, but here's what I would say. If I was going, I like the pickups that are in the S2s. They're a little dark, uh, some people don't like that. Some people like it. I think they sound full and I like them for what I'm getting. It's a different tone than what I'm after with the guitars. But if I was going to suggest pickups for that guitar, I would say the Pete Thorne Thornbuckers. The only downfall is they wouldn't be humless when they're single coil, but you could put them out. You could do an out of phase switch and you would get, you would get that same sound. So you can wire them to where you don't get hum. You'll get not, in my opinion, the, out, the phase, uh, uh, selection on those would, would sound a little thinner to me than the, than the single coil split coil sound of those pickups but you know you could do both you could wire it up to work both but that's the pickups i would suggest and i just wanted to do that because i was i uh i uh, i put a set of uh thorn buckers in an s2 uh and uh it sounded fantastic i was really impressed with it uh okay what do we got we got more questions i'm sure okay um here's a question again and i'm gonna get to some super chats too and do some other stuff and get some there's another thing that came up i had an experience this week so i after the show i got something very exciting to do today which is i got two bad cat amps here i have a hand wired and a uh and a and a pcb or whatever whatever non-hand wired amp uh to compare and do and i'll have a video soon on that after i get some experience checking them out and learning about them um so i'm excited about that but the other thing is i bought a mesa boogie amp and I got some emails from you guys. A couple of you guys sent me emails saying that you have Mesa Boogie dealers that are no longer Mesa Boogie dealers. And that's because, and I'm going to tell you, this is again, this is what people told me in emails. So this is not any kind of factual stuff. I don't, I don't know. This isn't a, like a vetted source. People said, hey, Phil, have you seen Mesa Boogie uh, dealers have been cut loose because they got to buy Gibson now? Now, I, one in particular said that they were told that they had to buy 200 – the person was saying the store told them they had to buy $250,000 worth of Gibson to be a Mesa Boogie dealer. I, I don't know that would be true. And in my experience, in the industry says that that doesn't sound right at all. Uh, Gibson used to charge 80000 to be a dealer if you could be a dealer. You know, you got to get approved. Uh, not only credit-wise, but you got to get approved, to, you know, for your area and, and everything, right? But if you could, uh, it was like eighty k worth of orders and then they would disperse them $20,000 worth of orders each quarter – and that's what the buy-in for Gibson is. And of course, that's, you know, that changes all the time. So who knows what the current buy-in is? I can't imagine it's a quarter million dollars, but who the hell knows at this point? But because uh, the, the last I've heard in the industry is that even if you wanted to be a Gibson dealer, you can't because they don't have inventory to ship you. The importance of this is I had an experience that aligns my experience with these emails I'm getting about Mesa Boogie, which is I decided to buy another Mesa Boogie. Um, I like Mesa Boogies, as you know. Like I'm, I love my Freedmans. I, I like Marshalls. I like Fenders, and I like Mesa Boogies. It's the it's the three biggies, right? Or four biggies. Um, 
And here's what happened. I wanted to buy a Mesa Boogie from some mom and pop dealers I know. And both the mom and pop dealers I reached out told me they're no longer Mesa dealers because they were basically told the same thing. They All they told me was they were told that to keep Mesa Boogie, they had to be a Gibson dealer. So they let it go. Um, so I ended up buying my Mesa Boogie from Sweetwater. I like the Sweetwater folks. As you know, I, I talk about them quite often. They've been really nice to the channel and supportive of the channel. But of course, like I said, especially stuff like Mesa Boogie, where it's a flat rate, you're going to pay the same price. I try to give that money, especially to a mom and pop, because it's not even asking for a discount. You're going to pay them full price. They get to actually make some money. Um, so what's interesting about that is I went back and looked, and I was right. I saw articles... I seen articles and I uh, saw videos where Gibson people from Gibson specifically said they weren't going to mess with Mesa Boogie and everything would stay the same. I'm really confused that that they said that in within months, like no time, it became obviously no, these dealers are are not. But I don't know that to be true. That's why I'm actually talking about this today. If you if you're a Mesa Boogie dealer and you're a store and you want to talk about it with me, uh, again, I won't disclose the store if that's something you're not interested in. Um, you know, I'm not here to you know, start wage a war or anything. I'm more curious just for me in the community. Um, you know what I mean? I'm curious. I'm not shocked by, by the way, by this. It would make sense if, if in, in Gibson's business model, it would make sense to put the Mesa Boogie lineup in the model with the other brands. And of course, kind of finite that towards the online, big online guys like Sweetwater and have them be the main, main focus. Basically, if your dealer is not big enough to carry Gibson, they did not carry Mesa Boogie. But I'm only shocked because I thought... I well, I not thought I did. Uh, Gibson did kind of talk about leaving Mesa Boogie alone, so automatically Mesa Boogie's being changed a little bit. So there you go, and that's so you know it was this kind of stuff that made me buy a Mesa Boogie. I know it sounds unintuitive, like hey, you know, uh, I bought a Mesa Boogie because I decided uh, I'm going to buy one before anyone makes any more changes I don't like, <laughs> and I'd rather have my Mesa Boogie before they do whatever weird thing they're going to do to it. Because <laughs> obviously they said they weren't going to change the amps and they also were going to change the business model. They're changing the business model means they might change the amps is my guess. But again, if you guys are curious, let me know. Um, so, uh, the real question. Oh, so I'm just looking at some comments. Uh, let's get onto it. It says, uh, bike kitty 77 says the real question is, Will the Mesa Boogie Hollywood store carry stuff like Sir and Anderson anymore? Seems like it would really shine a light on Gibson's quality. Yeah, it, well, again, it's it's really comes back down to, um, uh, you know, it, it, Mesa Boogie is going to be Gibsonized, obviously, is what this implies. This is what this implies. Really interesting. Um, you know... Gibson is a company, as you know, I continually support by buying their guitars. You know what I mean? I own, like I said, I've said this many times, I own more Gibsons than any other brand of guitar. I like my Gibsons. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's things people say they're good and bad about them, but here's the thing. The Gibson company has never been a company I've, I've really uh, understood. And when they got bought out or when, when they filed bankruptcy and the new company took over, I've been watching them like most of you guys trying to see, are they the same? You know, is the new boss same as the old boss? Are they different? And there's things that seem different and better. And there's things that seem not better and worse. And, but ultimately, you know, if you don't like it, you can always buy used Gibsons and not have to worry about it. But I, like I said, it's just a discussion I like to discuss with you guys. Cause I'm always curious. 
So, uh, let's see. I'm not looking at if any of you have any insights or any thoughts on this. Um, and again, if you want to direct anything towards me, question mark first. That way I know you're telling it to me. Hold on. Uh, yeah, Dirt Racer X. I just bought a Mesa Recto 112 from Sweetwater two weeks ago, and that's the only place I could find them. Same here. It was really crazy. In fact, I, I, you know, to add to that, not only did the dealers I know not carry it anymore, the other dealers I knew, they just didn't have it in stock, but they weren't explaining why. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what's coming down the pike. It'll be interesting. Yeah, a lot of people talking about buying their Mesa boogies from Sweetwater. Well, like I said, at least if you got, you know, I don't mind supporting Sweetwater. I just, like I said, I was trying to support some mom and pops first if I can. Um, all right, let's hit some more questions. What do we have? We have to refresh this. Okay, ready? This is from Vimps69. It says, hey, Phil, bought two sets of Gibson pickups, a set of classic 57s, and a set of four, 498s. I have two guitars, an SG and an Explorer. Which pickups would you put in each guitar? Just, you know, again, preferences are just preferences. Me, I'd put the 57s in the SG and the 498s in the Explorer. That'd be my guess. Uh, that would, Or not guess. That's what I would do if I was given those pickups. Uh... I guess, Zyle, Zyle Jill, Zyle Jill, <laughs> Zyle Jill <laughs> says, Hey, uh, heard a lot of people say the junior amps sound boxy. Others love it. Wonder why that is. I think the mismatch between EU US impulse. Uh, okay. So I think I'm assuming you're talking about the blues junior. And what's interesting about that is, uh, he's, so the question is, I'm assuming it's the blues junior cause you're saying junior. Uh, say, some people are saying they sound boxy, and he's wondering if it's the uh, the difference between the the voltage in the U EU and the US. Um, I like the Blues Junior. Yeah, it sounds a little boxy. Look, that's part of the that's part of the problem when you basically pack an amp tight. I mean, you're not letting a lot of that uh, that that sound get in the cabinet come through because it's just like it's got nowhere to go. It's it's it goes right out real fast. So. Uh, so I don't think it's a voltage thing. I think it's just the size of the amp. However, I think the perception of how boxy a Blues Junior sounds isn't about so much the amp itself, but also the placement of where it is in the room or the stage and how loud you're running the amp. So that's that's why, like I said, I've always liked the Blues Junior. And as you guys know, I really, really like my Princeton 68 now. And, and when people ask me why, it's not because I like one better than the other amp. In the situation I use my amp, it worked out to be the best. I like to run my Princeton very intimately, close to me, and quietly. And it just does what I want it to do like that. because I And I believe it's because uh, the 10-inch speaker just... I can, you know, it breaks up a little easier. It does a couple things a little easier than the 12-inch speaker. It just happens to be the way the amp's designed. Uh, and it just does what I want it to do without turning it up as loud. And, uh, and of course, uh, it's a smaller footprint. Well, not smaller footprint, but smaller speaker size, which I said already. But you get the idea. It's just, it works for me. I'm trying to add to that, but I, don't think, I think I just covered it. The Drunken Scoundrel says digital chorizo sucks. Is that going to be the new thing now? Digital chorizo sucks. 
cool. All right, ER Webster, what's up, ER? How's it going? Says, have you ever had a tremolo bridge that didn't keep tuning very well that was corrected by swapping out the springs? Uh, you know, not that I can remember. Like, not nothing sticks out in my head. Is like, oh, this bridge was horrible, and I changed the springs. Um, what I can tell you is changing springs has definitely uh, changed the way the bridge feels over and over again uh, when dealing with customers. And sometimes changing them out changes... Um, no, that's about it. <laughs> See, I feel like these questions are more straightforward. The answer is going to have to be straightforward too. So uh, I, I'm not shocked to hear that it happened to you. If it did, you change out the springs and it's staying in tune better. That makes sense. But um, no, in my experience, oh, it, here's what they do. Uh, changing out the springs not only changes the feel of the bridge, uh, a lot of times I've noticed, but it also changes how well the bridge, um, where the bridge sits, how where it sits. Sometimes the bridges don't find that sweet spot where you want them to, no matter how much you adjust those two screws. And sometimes that those springs really, really help with that. Uh, Jeff says, how do you go about picking that one amp? Oh man, you're asking the wrong person. I don't have one amp. It says, uh, like what made you decide the Princeton, Princeton ESP when you have, wait, it's like one continuous sentence. Hold on. Like what made you decide on the Princeton? I'm going to assume that's a, that's a period. ESP, when you have out, there are a lot of high end shoes from, I don't know where this is going, but let's go back to the core part of this, Jeff. How do you go about picking that one amp? Um, I don't know, man. You're a, this is the sad part. I want one amp. I think everybody wants one amp. And it, and here's where I've seen the failure of that. It has nothing to do with gear junkies or gear addicts or whatever, you know, right? Everybody has this problem, picking one thing. Even, you know, Eddie Van Halen couldn't pick one amp. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one could pick one amp. You know what I mean? It's tough. Um... So the question is, you know, what do you need? I don't know. But I feel like, like I said, people always ask me, like, if you only had one amp and you picked it, what would you pick? And I tell them. But then the answer to that isn't like I, I would be happy with that. It's just this is what I would pick. To me, uh, to me though, here's the best question. Like, you know, the, the question of how many guitars you need. And I always say, uh, you know, you don't need any, so it's up to you. And somebody says one more. When it comes to amps, how many amps do you need? You know what I mean? Physically, like how many amps do I think I need? Three, I like having, you know, nine, <laughs> which is what I have now, but I need three. I feel like it. And of course, again, I'm, I'm not going to contra contradict myself. I don't need any of them, but I, I want to have three. I feel like I can get most amps to do anything, but if you have three different flavors, I feel like it's enough rotation to keep things fresh. Um, and what I found is new amps are great, but sometimes just going back to an old amp is always great too. Um, so there you, there you go. Okay. Uh, Ben's question is, Phil, I'm buying a Warmoth uh, SS uh, roasted figured maple neck to upgrade my MIM. Okay. So he's putting a Warmoth roasted neck on his Made in Mexico Strat. Should I get a satin finish or no finish? Thanks. Um, I have roasted maple necks with no finish and I love them. I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get a finish. Um, I don't think it's going to make a big difference. The thing about roasted necks, so I think I've told you guys this before. I bought a ton of guitars with roasted necks over the last few, uh, you know, few years have gone by. I told you when they started becoming a thing, and I was reviewing a lot of them. And because I have a channel, you know, I mean, where we review gear and we talk about stuff, I wanted to be versed in this information, so I got as many roasted necks as I could. 
uh, from different brands. And I, and I think I learned a lot. And what I really learned was a, not all roasted necks are equal for sure. Uh, the, not even just the way that they roast the necks or do the necks. It's just how long they do the necks. And there's a lot of variables in that, but really what I really learned is the necks are hard and they, they, they literally do what they do or they say they do. They basically stay very stable, but they also dent and scratch very easy. Um, and so the reason I say that I'm trying to give you the reason why I'm going to tell you why I wouldn't put a finish on it because, um, they dent and scratch really easy. I, I like the ability to be able to repair them, uh, which you can fix. You can, you can fix a dented scratched, uh, maple neck, whether it's roasted or not very easily, a little moisture, a little heat, you can fix it. Um, if you put a finish on it, it starts making it a little bit more complicated. So I don't have any roasted necks with a finish on it. And I wouldn't pick one for that reason, because, um, now that I know they're delicate, cause they are, <laughs> I kind of go to extra, you know, steps to make sure they're fine. But man, you got to watch it. It, it. You'll, you'll dent or scratch a roasted neck really easy. Um, makes sense. It's cause it's carbonized, right? So basically kind of like carbon fiber in the concept of very strong, but also it can crack or break really easy. I find that's kind of what happens with the neck. Yeah. The neck itself is very stable, very strong, but if it gets hit or it dings really easy and it dents really easy because it's more brittle. That's, that's the experience I've had. And so, you know, that is more so the problem, the more the neck is roasted. So the, so assuming the company didn't stain it or try any trickery, the darker your neck, the more I find that problem to be. So I've learned like for me, I want the necks lightly roasted. (laughs) It's stupid conversations we have saying things like that, but it's true. Lightly roasted. I want it roasted enough to where, again, it gets some of the stability, um, get some of the sugars and the, and the moisture out of the neck. And, uh, and it does what they say it does. And also it looks great. Cause that's one of the things I like about it too, is aesthetically, I like the way it looks, but also not so much that it becomes, uh, like I said, more, all the problems I don't like become worse. So uh, Ruben, just cause it's, I want to do this cause it's coming on to the same t- question. Ruben says, would you generally recommend Warmoth for a custom build? Um, yeah, like I said, I like, obviously, unless you just have the money to do your thing, right. And it's not even about money. Let's be very clear. I did my, that's how I told you I was going to tell you this. So this is kind of good segue. So I've said this many times, if you're going to do a custom build, in other words, not do it yourself, not put the parts to caster together, not do something like that yourself. You're going to have, have somebody build it. I like the Kiesel guys for the price. I like Warmoth. If you're going to go, if you're not going to go Kiesel, Warmoth's another great wa- way to go. Get parts and put them together. Fantastic. You can get a lot of guitar for the money from those two people, assuming until, of course, this gets dated and both those guys, uh, you know, raise their prices. But it's not even about that. It's about, you know, other factors too. So this guitar I had to do from Kiesel, this is actually a concept I worked on in 2019. Is that right? Yes. So in 2019, I decided I wanted exactly what this is. I wanted a guitar that looked very 80s, had a very crazy paint job, did some crazy stuff, but had some very traditional uh, um, feel to it. So I went with a nine and a half inch radius. Um, I went with a, a, you know, kind of more of a Fender C-neck. And I, I basically had a guitar built. I even went to the factory, which is in Germany, to have a guitar f- built in by Framus. And it's still not built. It's been two years. In fact, June next month, which is in a week will be two years from when I picked out the woods and ordered the guitars. It's still not done after having that done, which is still not done yet. 
I gave up about a year later. When I say gave up, I mean I figured it will happen when it happens. I ordered another version of this guitar. In other words, another iteration in my head going, okay, I don't think the frame is thing's going to, I don't think they're going to build it. It's been a year and they haven't moved. And when I contact them, it hadn't really moved yet. They've been busy. Um, I found another company, this company, same thing, <laughs> had them build the guitar. That is now been almost, it's been like 11 months and same thing. They've moved nowhere on this guitar. So I finally just contacted Kiesel and had to do it. This took four months and now it exists. Kiesel was, and <laughs> this is because again, I think it's fair to say this. Kiesel's street price for this guitar, which means, you know, no hookups, no nothing, was $1,000 less than the other two brands who were going to give me artist pricing. So I had two other brands tr uh, try to build me a guitar for a price that was either 1000 more or, in the other case, double the price of this guitar, doing me a favor on the price, a very big favor. In fact, so you know, the... The Framus one was going to be uh, more than this, obviously, but the street on that guitar, that Framus was me $7,000. That would be street price for the average Joe if they didn't have the YouTube, whatever, ability to get that deal. And um, even that price, it's still two years and no no, no product. So, um, so yeah, that's why I, I said it to everybody. I wanted to make sure you guys know, great price, but also the fact that they're getting the guitars completed in that manner. Uh, really good. And I'd like to point out, I never, I, I didn't ask PRS to build a guitar, but I did reach out to them and they were very accommodating. And again, very nice with the pricing, but the lead times they were quoting were again, uh, going to be putting me, uh, in a very long time. Cause I actually felt like they were under quoting me the lead times. And there was what they gave me sound like a long time. And I didn't even believe that was going to be it. So it was again, that's why I did it. I was, a. Uh, so it's a time frame. So it's not just about, so back to the warm-up thing. It's not always just about the price or the value. You got to think about those things. You know, I, uh, you guys ask me all the time about Tone King amps. I have a Tone King amp that I'm waiting for that I, uh, I ordered in January of 2020. So it's been, now it's next month will be a year and a half since I ordered that. And, you know, I mean, it takes time to do this custom stuff. So unless you want to wait sometimes the two years for a product or longer, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not just price is what I'm trying to get at. I'm sorry, guys. I'm taking a long time to get to a point. Uh, it's not just price is the only thing you have to factor in. You have to factor, factor in all the other stuff. Um, the next one is Jim. Jim says, Hey, Phil, looking for a small amp for home use that does rock metal. Any recommendations? Mesa, Marshall, Friedman, something else. Uh, have a spark that isn't doing it for me. Also have a Milkman 5 watt. Oh, Milkman 5 watt's really cool too, but I get it. Rock metal. Look, it's a, you didn't say a price. So just let me throw, I'll throw out my favorite at home practice metal amps. <laughs> so that makes it you, you rock metal. The 5150s, whether you go with the 50 watt head or the 15 watt uh, uh, head, uh, the LBX, fantastic amplifiers. You can get rock, you can get metal, you can get clean tone. I think some of the best price out there for those stuff. Uh, from Mesa Boogie, I like the uh, Mark V Mini, the 25 watt head, or the Mesa Boogie Re Recto Verb 25. Um, and that's if you want reverb, you can go Recto if you don't need reverb. Uh, great amps. Uh, and you can pick up like some of those, uh, some of those I mentioned from Mesa Boogie for a thousand bucks used and they're built really well. Um, you know, again, quality from Marshall in that range. Uh, you know, like I said, I really like the JVM, but they don't make a, they don't make a small amp. That's for sure. Uh, so from Marshall, I, I guess I would suggest, uh, 
for rock, well, rock great for metal. Maybe the DSL 20. And again, I think of that as being rock. It will do metal okay as long as you're not new metal. That's a great amp. Friedman. Freeman doesn't do the metal thing, but if I was going to suggest a Freeman for that, it would be the JJ, the JJ Jr. That amp was probably the most aggressive, uh, smaller amplifier for, uh, for that sound for sure. So there you go. That was just some suggestions. And then of course there's tons of others. There's, there's, you'll see in the comments, somebody's going to put it in there. There's an orange there's, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's the Ingle, the Inger, Inger Fireball 25 is a $1,200. It's assuming it's still 1200 bucks. It was a $1,200 made in Germany amp. I have that one really, really good. As I look around the room, um, all of those work great. So that's why I said that becomes the problem. Think about that. The irony of this, the problem isn't, it's hard to find a great amp. It's, easy to find a great amp. That's what's confusing. Which one do you pick? Um, and then uh, RJW14 says, if you want a Marshall style, why not the Sheriff 22 by Victory? I will never, I will never recommend a Victory amp. It's never going to happen. Sorry. I bought, I told you guys, I took a bath on Victory. Um, I had two Krakens and both went bad. And it was obviously not bad. Like they went bad. Like I had them and they went bad. They were defective from the box and Victory was the most unhelpful company ever. In fact, I lost a fortune on those amps. Um, and so, although I, I, like I said, I've liked the other Victory amps and I like the Krakens, um, it was, and I'm sure, I, and I'm sure to this day it was probably just a bad batch. I mean, it was obviously a bad batch. I had two of them back to back that were bad, but um, Victory was not a company willing to help. And, and this is, this is YouTube land. This is when, I mean, obviously I was doing, you know, not doing reviews because I bought all my victories, but I was doing reviews. Uh, and so here's what I'm saying. They didn't give a crap that I could tell you guys the, those amps are bad and there's an audience to be heard. I would imagine they're really not going to care about you guys. <laughs> that would be my guess. I hate to say that, but, you know, I always, I always share my experiences with you guys, good or bad. I'm not saying there's, there's companies not as, you know, there are companies worse than any other company. I'm not saying that. Like I said, overall, I like the way the victory sound, but I'm not going to buy one again. <laughs> and I think I told you guys this. Um, I really liked my BD one, which is the Rob Chapman, you know, uh, amp. Uh, I love that amp. And, uh, I, I actually think about it all the time. It sucks. Cause I was actually so, so upset with basically getting hosed by the Krakens. I sold that amp and I missed that amp, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just sucks. So like I said, and, and, uh, and I was also, like I said, when I talk about victory, also keep in mind, I was a victory dealer and I, I had some issues with victory with customers. Customers had defective products and I took care of them and I ate every single penny. In fact, to this day, victory is the company my wife brings up. She said, as the company we ate the biggest amount of money from, uh, and that's funny because we weren't even a big dealer and we didn't even sell a lot of their stuff. It's just they literally would not take care of any service. They left us hanging. So, uh, but again, again, one experience is not all experiences. Like Declan saying, hey, you just took ownership of a victory amp. I, and you know what? You'll probably have a great experience. I hope you do. But I'm telling you why I won't do it. I'm not telling you guys not to do or do anything. Like I said, you guys have had bad experiences. Like, think of this. I buy a Kiesel. I love it. My friend Nathan had a horrible experience with Kiesel, right? I mean, his was not a pleasant experience either. Like I said, it's, you got to make your own decisions. I'm just giving you the information. And then uh, hopefully other people will give information. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm not wrong, but I'm hoping that literally 500 of you go, 
man, victory's great, and I've never heard a bad thing. And then that would be great because I have no problem with that either. Um, the next is Michael. Michael says, I finally, I finally, finally, I finally, I finally found a hot rod red strat body on eBay to match my Jaguar base. And it's just showed up, except it's Fiesta Red. Oh, man. That really sucks. If you guys don't know, um, so Hot Rod Red would be like a 57 Chevy, uh, kind of classic uh, muscle car type red. And Fiesta Red looks like Campbell's Soup when it's right. So, you know, Fiesta Red, when it, when it, you know, sometimes they look, you know, they look bad. Uh, or sometimes when they're not right, you know, they can be all kinds of reds. But when they're right, when they're the most accurate, they look like a bowl of Campbell's tomato soup. Did I say Campbell's soup earlier, not tomato? That would be weird. Like chicken soup? No. Campbell's tomato soup. Uh, it says the listing says the seller does not offer returns. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, it's going to go great. You bought it on Reverb. You're going to get your... Oh, you bought it on eBay. I have no idea what to tell you, dude eBay has been a 50-50 world buying and selling with them. Overall, I shouldn't give them credit. I said that bad of credit. They're 60-40. 60% of the time, eBay takes care of you. 40% of not. Reverb, though, would definitely take care of you. They would step in and take care of you on that. That's one thing that Reverb does and does well. They literally, Reverb is a company that understands that the customer, not as always right, because that's true, but the customer is the value. Look, everyone has product. They need customers. That's what you need, right? If you have a bunch of product, you don't have any money. You need customers. So Reverb has had a policy that basically says, always take care of the customer. And I say this because as someone who buys and sells on Reverb and, and has had a dealership that sold on Reverb in the past, I can tell you that when I was a dealer, they always took care of the customer, even if that meant, I don't want to say screwing me, but I had to take it, I had to take it, right? I don't mind that because ultimately, you know, hey, I, I, I never had a problem financially with it. And uh, ultimately, it's the best business decision always. Always take care of the customer. So if it's an inaccurate description, you should be able to get your money back. That's all it really, really matters. How they get you, though, sometimes they say, look at the pictures. But you need it in the description to say that it's this color. So, uh, So there you go. Hold on. I'm just looking at a question. Okay, I thought it was a question towards me. It's not. I'm sorry. I'm quiet. I'm just reading. Uh, yeah, fe Fiesta is tomato. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you guys were talking about the chicken soup. <laughs> it's chicken soup. All right. Um, what else do we have? We have... Uh, Buzz. Buzz says, replacing nut on a made in Mexico Strat and uh, and fender, I assume that is fender, for some reason matches the neck radius for the nut slot instead of simply making it flat. Yes, that's fine. How do I match the radius while lowering the tusk nut? Okay, so your tusk nut, since we're talking about tusk, with a Q, no elephants hurt on this, uh, is technically going to come as a uh, like a one-stop 
all fits all kind of concept. So when you get a, a nut uh, from Tusk, uh, which is Graph Tech Company, and it's a fender, it's going to come radius like a seven and a quarter inch radius, but it has this little tab in the center, and you leave that tab, and that tab makes it the correct way for the uh, nine and a half radius. So if you don't have that tab, uh, well, then you have a small problem. But if you do have the tab, you just leave that tab in there. That will fix your problem, if that helps. That should help. Um, yes. And then your main Mexico Strat fender uh, should be correct for the Tusk nut. If you bought the Tusk nut for fender. But so you know, what's great about Tusk and Graftech is um, they are very, very good at customer service at helping you f solve your problem, right? Like I said, that's why I love promoting brands that do that stuff. Um, literally, you can reach out to them at graphite and say, if you ever buy a part from them and you have a problem, it's not fitting on your guitar, just reach out to them. They'll, their parts are not that expensive. Sometimes they're going to just tell you to buy another part, but they will get you the right part if you bought the right, wrong part. And you know, for the 10 bucks for a nut, it's just definitely worth it. Like I said, and I tell you guys all this all the time, if you have to buy two or three nuts to do your guitar, you're still going to come out way ahead than somebody like me working on your guitar, because I'm going to charge you way more than that. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. Uh, like I said, take what I said, but also if you have problems, still contact them. Okay. John's question is, Hey, Phil. Hey, Phil. I emailed a photo of my SEHB2 Paizo yesterday. Okay. Uh, help splitting the neck humbucker. Um, okay. So you're going to basically put a coil split in the guitar. Um, are the joined wires for the split inside the insulation near the toggle, or do I need to take the pickups covers off? No, they're in there. All the wires are in there. So what John's talking about is when I did my review of the uh, SE Hollow Body Paizo from PRS, I mentioned that even though they don't have coil split uh, in the guitar, they didn't put the feature in there. The wires, the pickup they're using is a, is a four conductor, which means it has five wires because there's two grounds, um, has five wires in the sleeve. And so yes, the wires are in there. So yeah, and all the way to the end. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I understand that makes you nervous when you're like looking at that stuff, but yeah, they're there. That's an easy one. Um, and then Gal, I'm gonna say Gal Galilea Levi says, "I hate t-shirts." <laughs> that means I hope that means you dress nice, <laughs> right? You're like, I don't wear no t-shirts. I wear nice shirts. Um, and then you do a super chat. I, I think that means you don't want to buy a t-shirt. You want to super chat and support. That's what I'm reading that as. I appreciate that. Maybe we should do dress shirts. <laughs> it would be, it would be, uh, so there you go. Um, Uh, okay. Over overdrive guitar channel says graph tech didn't help me. The nut they had me buy didn't fit my Ibanez and they just kept saying it was the right one. So interesting. Um, I'm really curious to see, uh, what guitar and what it was that it wasn't right. Cause like I said, they're usually Johnny on the spot when it comes to it, but there is going to be a situation where, and again, it's possible. I don't think it's likely it's possible where your guitar is weird enough to where they have, a nut that kind of fits it. And they're telling you that's right. 
I mean, sometimes you're lucky. You know what I mean? If you have, when it comes to Graph Tech, if you have this traditional guitars, you're set. If you have an Epiphone, uh, if you have a Gibson, if you have a Fender American or Fender Made in Mexico, you know what I mean? Life's pretty easy. You know what I mean? They, they, they make a nut that fits most of those stuff. But then when it gets a little on the, in the weeds, it gets a little tricky for them. But, um, but sadly enough, with my experience with them over the years is if they're telling you it's the right nut, my guess is they're probably right. So, you know, and if it's not working, it might be a user error thing. That would be my guess. Because like I said, I've had to get on the phone with them too for, you know, over the years and with an issue. And, um, and my experience was, even though I was like pretty sure that they were, you know, what they were telling me was wrong, it was pretty much right. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty into their thing. So, you know, they're pretty in their game. Um, but you can always, uh, like I said, you can always, I don't know, send, send me a picture. I'm curious to see. Like I said, send me that stuff. Like I said, I, I pretty much can't get to emails right now. But if you send this, at least I, I'll try to put this on a priority because it's an interesting subject. Okay. Let's try to, I'm going to try to scan the the community to see what you guys are talking about. If there's any questions. I know I have super chats, but I, I try not to stay all on that screen for too long. Uh, Robert wanted to know, hey, did I ever play the Laboga? I think that's how you say it. Labaga, Laboga, Labuga, uh, at Henning's place. I remember picking up, he's got a lot of weird guitars, man. <laughs> Henning's like, Henning's, cause he's in Europe. There are all these European builders that you never see here in the States. So when I was there, I was picking up all these, uh, really crazy guitars and every, every guitar at Henning's house that was, uh, was this brand I never heard of. And it was like, uh, this is eight grand and this is 10 grand and this is seven grand. And this is 12 grand. And every one of them, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Cause they are cool. Um, but yeah, like stuff I never played or seen before. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's the guitar I played though. When I was at the Hughes and Kittner event and he was there. I, if I'm recalling correctly, but, uh, what I can tell you is all the, uh, none of the guitars I ever picked up at his house or at the events where he was at these, uh, these, you know, different brands were like anything where I went, Oh, really? <laughs> you know, everything was like, Oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of hand time, a lot of, you know, again, um, small runs, small, you know, small builders, high, high cost stuff to do. Yeah. So there you go. That gives you insight. Um, the other thing too, since I'm reading too, that will uh, help you if you're, you're answering the question, I'm assuming there's a reason for it. Maybe you're looking at that guitar and he did a video of it. What I will tell you, like me or like him, depending on how you look at this, uh, like I said, we are different personalities, as you know, we have different business mindsets and how things should work, but there's things that we do agree on. And one thing is we really do not like, uh, playing guitars in the videos that we don't like. It's really not, it's not only not fun, but it's really hard to do. So, um, I will tell you this, when he likes a guitar, he's being pretty sincere about it. Same here. When I'm playing guitar, I like, and I say, I like it a lot. I'm being really sincere because it's like all the guitars I really don't like just never can be on the channel. They just can't. It's like just too hard to kind of push yourself through this. Okay. All right. Any questions for me besides a... Uh, Thor wants to say, hey, from greetings from Denmark, do you have, since it's, you know, European time zone day, uh, do you have any favorite guitar body styles? Mine is the 335, mostly due to the looks. 
You know what's funny is that's where I, I lucked out. A lot of players do like a guitar for the looks. You know what I mean? Even they go, they'll say it's not comfortable, it's not something they like, but they like the way it looks. I lucked out in the idea that I like the the guitars. I, I like the way they look are uh, the most comfortable. I like yeah, Strat style guitars. And when I say Strat style, I don't want to be like that. Like that's a Strat behind me, whatever. And that's a you know the double cutout Strat look. When I say style, like this Kiesel. And this frame is right here that's hollow. Uh, and this other Kiesel and uh, any guitars that are like that, uh, that Ivan is RG behind me, the black one. It's RG behind me. Uh, arm carve, belly carve, you know what I mean? Ergonomic, ergonomic, very comfortable. You know what I mean? Um, you know, if I, if I, <laughs> it's funny. Somebody always, I was thinking about this the other day. Somebody always asked me like in these videos, like if you were a millionaire, you know, what would you do and what would you buy? And I, I think about this all the time and I go, I think if I, the real quiet, the real question for me is not if I was a millionaire, if I didn't care about money, because that's really what somebody implies. If you have a lot of money, you don't have to worry about it as much and you don't have to fixate on it. If I didn't care about money, I would probably take a belt sander half my guitars. I would literally, like I can tell you right now, that gold topless Paul, and my PRSs, I would take, I would arm carve those things in a second. Brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
let me actually tell you, t- t- tell you something the opposite way because that happens more. So in other words, taking a guitar that's an eight and making it a 10 happens, happens a lot. What doesn't happen a lot is when you take a guitar that's an eight and you modify it, it makes it a six. That doesn't happen as often, but it does happen. In times that's happened, uh, the S2, uh, to, I think about the uh, PRS S2s is a perfect example. I took my my first S2 that I loved, I took those stock pickups out that I said were a little dark. Some people call them a little muddy because they're a little dark. And I put in some better, higher quality pickups, and I just didn't love it. And I, was, I put the originals back. So my S2 is stock. So think about this. There's a ton of times where I've modded guitars and then uh, the mods didn't make them better. My Mira, my PRS Mira, same thing. I modded it, put, put in better pickups. As you guys know, I like the metal in the bridge and the 57 in the neck. Put those in there, did not like it. Put those stock mirrors back in there. Sometimes the guitar is just perfect stock the way it is. So that happens. Um, the biggest culprit for me for, for mods gone wrong are strats. A lot of times you have a strat that sounds good, but it's stock. So made in Mexico is the biggest victim of this. Uh, they have, you have a, you have a stock made in Mexico strat and you're like, I'm going to put some crazy expensive pickups in it. And you do that. And a lot of times it's just not better. It's not that it's just a little better and you don't validate the money. It's actually just not better. It's worse. And you realize that some companies, even like Fender, even though we like to talk about how they focus on making things more affordable and more, you know, more profit for them, they're also smart at figuring out what customers want. Let's give all these companies credit. They do get credit for that too. They not only figure out like, how can I make it a little cheaper and how can I get the customer to pay a little more? They also figure out how can I make it exactly what the customer wants. Um, in fact, Fender is probably my go-to and Gibson then after that, by the way, for in my head, when I think of a company that literally you can, in my opinion, nine out of 10 times stay with stock stuff in their guitars and, and, and be happy with it. So... Um, Ellen's question is, what are the warmest sounding pickups I have ever encountered? That's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think in my head, uh, you know, what pickups do I think of like really smooth out the sun? Cause some pickups are really bright, smooth. I'm trying to think warms up the sound. Hmm. I don't know. Isn't that funny? I really, I feel like I should have an answer to that. Uh, I mean, we, I do so many pickup installs and I mess with pickups so much. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you this. And this is why the question is probably a little tricky. This is usually the, not the problem. So, you know, more players are trying to get more clarity and brightness out of a sound and not warm it up. Um, because you can just use your tone knob, back it off just a little bit, just a little bit, and get a lot warmer sound. Hmm, I can't think of anything. Usually, to me, the warmest sounding pickups are the cheapest ones. Isn't that funny? So, to me, that's why I say most players are looking for something brighter. When I think of warm sounding pickups, like those S2 pickups, very inexpensive in the way they probably construct it, right? They're probably made, uh, probably in Korea, whatever, mass produced, you know, right, using... Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of pickups, making a lot of pickups. Uh, I think of the made in Mexico original pickups, you know, right. Um, when you think of a lot of inexpensive pickups, I think of warmer sounding pickups cause they usually use, um, you know, uh, not cheaper materials, but just 
more powerful magnets. They're not really, there's a lot of finesse to making a pickup just right. So a lot of times it's just a lot of cheaper just to make a stamped out thing and put it out there. So like I said, I would imagine if you want warmer sounds, you could probably just accidentally get that by buying an inexpensive pickup. It's going to be full and thick. And, and, uh, and like I said, sometimes that's lacking clarity. <laughs> Moan says, how do I improve the tone of my fingers without gear? Well, your fingers don't have tone, so that makes it easy. You have technique, right? So you don't, like when people say tone is in your fingers, that's an argument. I have a counter argument. Uh, here's my counter argument. It's like back when everybody says, uh, like if no matter what you play through, you're going to sound like you. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> here's why I can prove it's not true. Um, let's say you want to play some smooth, clear jazz, but you pl plug into Dimebag Daryl's rig uh, of his Randall cranked on 10 with tons of distortion. Uh you're not going to, you're not going to sound sure. You're not going to sound like dime bag, but you're definitely not going to have your sound either. So tones are generated when you're talking about electronic instruments. Think about this. All, all these guitars without pedals and amps sound like crappy acoustics. Let's just start there. So that's where all electric guitars sound like, I don't know, maybe crappy is too harsh. Then, <laughs> right. They're acoustics. They're just really bad acoustics. Think about this. A solid body guitar is a really, really bad acoustic guitar because it's not very loud and it probably doesn't sound very full or beautiful. So electric guitars need electronic stuff <laughs> to, to have sound. So they need pedals and amps, pickups, all these things. These are where the tones come from. Your techniques, though, are going to dictate how well those tones come across. So uh, the, the the way I argue this when somebody says a tone is in your hands or in your fingers, I'm going to say, well, that's not my argument. I don't think that happens at all. Tone is not. Technique is in your hands. And without technique, you will not get good tone, even if you have a good tone. That's a perfect example. So, for instance, if you have a great sounding amp and a great sounding guitar and you've it's the you know not even the best money you can buy, but it's the absolute best gear and you play for shit, well, then that's your sound. You can, sorry, you have to practice. You have to, so you have to have technique. It's, it's a combination. The instrument, and I said this before, I've said this so many times, I actually feel like a broken record. Your musical instrument is not your guitar. It's not your pickups. It's not your pedals. I don't want to go down the list. You get the idea. Your musical instrument is your mind, your hands, then the strings, right? In order, right? Goes from mind to hands to strings, Right into the bridge and nut, you know, right? Physical vibrations, pickups to the electronics, out the cable to the whatever pedals, if you use those, to the amp, to the speaker. That's the entire instrument. You never heard the saying, the weakest link? <laughs> if you suck, you're the weakest link. It's possible you're playing is great. We've seen it. Somebody will say, oh, look at this great player playing through crappy gear or inexpensive gear, usually whatever, and it sounds great. Yeah. But uh, that's a great argument, and I totally agree with that too. You can have a great player playing through cheap gear, and it sounds great. I agree. Just like I agree you could take a crappy player through gear, bad or great gear, and it's going to sound bad. I agree with that as well, which is why it's very important that your technique be good, those things be good. But again, it's the whole signal chain. It has to, you know what I mean? And, and you're trying to refine it all. That's why I always tell people, it's never occurred to me in 213 episodes, it still doesn't occur to me, 
and if it does, I guess I have to put disclaimers. It's like it's like telling people not to drink Windex. I just assume everyone who's looking at better gear knows they need to be practicing. <laughs> I always think about that. Could you imagine if every video I made went like this? Hey, everybody, check out the new ZFX pedal. It's pretty good. Now, don't forget to practice. Otherwise, this will sound poopy. <laughs> right? And then plug in your cable. But before you plug in your cable, don't forget to practice because it'll sound like crap. I mean, I just assume you guys know that stuff. But if you don't, practice. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the first part of your signal chain. <laughs> yeah, a lot of you guys are chiming in. Again, and so you know, none of what I just said is absolutely right or, in my opinion, absolutely wrong. Again, that's the whole point of having a, an overall discussion about it. Uh, so there you go. Uh, it's just my philosophy for whatever that's worth. We have, the next one is Litvay. Hey, Litvay, what's up? He gave me a cool chicken. I don't know if it's a chicken. It looks like a pigeon. Give me a thumbs up sticker. I like the stickers, man. It makes me, makes me laugh. By the way, I got your message. Uh, he gave me the, uh, correspondence of money, um, what the FTs mean and what they may, what they're worth and stuff. So thank you. I appreciate that. I haven't had a chance to respond. I was buttoning up the Kiesel video. I wanted it out. Um, I don't know if this is going to happen. I have no inside information. I just, I just let you know, I got the Kiesel guitar. The reason it went out and it got out yesterday is I wanted it out as fast as possible because, um, I don't know again, <laughs> but I keep noticing with, uh, Kiesel every time there's a holiday, they do a sale. So I thought, Oh, I should put that video out before they do their sale. Uh, you know, and then somebody mentioned they're going to do a price increase, increase in that video. So again, that's what I was going after. I was like, Hey, if you're going to tell you about something, I want you to know when you can get it at the best deal. Cause again, the more money in your pocket is the more money you have. You don't have, you know, if you, saving money is making money. How about that? Uh, music therapy Laz says, we'll, we'll be vacationing through your area late September for which, for which guitar would you want that leather custom guitar hanger. I'm thinking Copper Strat. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm okay with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, Music Therapy was talking about making a, a custom leather hanger. Yeah, the Copper Strat would be great because it would definitely fit the theme. Uh, Travis says, what is the blue guitar over your right shoulder? This is my uh, Framus television. This is a hollow guitar. I do have a video of it. It's like my five weirdest guitars video, and it is that guitar. Uh, it's my hollow body Framus, Framus uh, guitar. It's a beautiful work of art, is what it is. Um, uh, I, I've said this. Uh, I said this before. I'll say it again. I keep saying that today. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, it's the problem with doing 200 and something episodes. <laughs> you start thinking about all your overlapped comments. If the aliens came to my house and said, "Give us your best guitar," you know, to and I would I would grab that. Best meaning best quality guitar I've ever I have of how it's built. It is just some next level designs. Just how the pickups get installed on that guitar is so smart and genius. Those uh, P90s are Seymour Duncans. And when they put them in there, what they do is if you take that P90 out, even I told you this whole guitar is hollow. Keep in mind, it's like three inches thick at the thickest point and about an inch thick on the, on the th thinnest point, And it is hollow, 100% hollow. There's no compartments or access points. So if you take one of those pickups out, what you'll see is they they actually put a terminal there so that the pickup clips into the terminal. So if I want to change those pickups to different P90s, I can pull them out and do that. Man, smart, just smart. 
and the electronics too. The electronics can be pulled very easily and changed. Uh, so they may, when I, and the only reason I know that is because when I, when I got this, I was looking at it going, how, how, how am I ever going to fix this if anything goes wrong? And, and I, uh, so luckily for me, I, I kind of investigated and I saw it and I was impressed. Uh, Servando says, Phil, what's your favorite 212 cab for rock metal? Looking for a cab for my BE 50, uh, DLX. Okay. The B 50 deluxe. That's a great amp. I got the small box. I really wanted the deluxe, but I was like, I don't know. I was on the fence and I went small box. Uh, I feel a little underwhelmed by the Freeman 212. I have not tried the Freeman 212. Um, and you know, my, one of my favorite 212 cabinets, like if you want a great 212 cabinet, uh, get an orange one, man. <laughs> That's some real, dude, they, those cabinets are legit. Got the two vintage thirties. They're just built. They got a lot of low end. I bet you that would do really well with the Freeman. I bet you the Freeman, cause the Freeman's got the mids. It brings, it's like a Marshall in the idea that it's got the mids, right? And I bet you those mids would thump out. So I was thinking about that. I have a uh, 212, you know, Marshall, I have a 212 uh, Mojo Tone uh, custom cabinet that I have. And, um, and I have a 212 oversized Paul Reed Smith uh, cabinet, which is a Mojo Tone cabinet, which is why I like Mojo Tone. They, made, they used to make the PRS cabinets. They don't anymore. PRS went to China with the cabinets. but um, And they don't do pine anymore. They do ply. But, um, but uh, for 212s, I mean, obviously, I like Mesa Boogie. I, I like a lot of brands. There's a lot of great stuff. But uh, what I'm thinking about doing is I've been contemplating for my Freeman getting the orange 212 because I got a feeling they're going to match up nice. I think that, I think that, that small box is just going to, it's when that cabinet, what's nice about that cabinet is it creates a lot of low end fullness sound. Um, and, and with the right amp, that cabinet is magical. And then with the wrong amp, it's just too much low end. Right. So, so that's my suggestion, but there's tons of cabinets, but that's a suggestion based on what I'm thinking about doing. So that's the, put your money where your mouth is. That's the cabinet I recommend because, uh, you know, because it's good. Um, Stout Coffee says, Harley Benton 212 horizontal. Great. Harley Benton stuff's good. I'm just assuming because he's got a $3,000, amp. <laughs> that thing's crazy expensive, right? It was like three dollars $3,500, over three grand. I figure because he's got a $3,000 amp, he wants a cabinet that's, you know, priced accordingly. That's usually the thought process. You don't have to follow that rule, but that's generally the rule I find most people follow. You know what I mean? If you buy a $3,000 guitar, you put in an expensive case. If you buy a $300 guitar, you don't put in an expensive case. Generally is the rule. Again, somebody's going to put in the comments, no, I buy $500 cases for my $100 guitar. Everyone does everything differently, <laughs> but but there are some commonalities. Um, <laughs> John says, orange cabs break my back. This is funny. I've never owned an orange cab for that exact reason. I was like, this is just ridiculous. And then it kind of hit me that the couple of the 212s I have here, I've been sitting here for a couple years because at this point, if I take anything with me anywhere, it's always my old, I have an ultralight 112 cabinet. That's what goes. I have that. So I take that everywhere. It'll handle up to 50 Watts. No problem. I can take a 50 watt head in that 112 and not kill myself. So, yeah. So I was thinking more of a, like a, you know, it's gonna, yeah, I, I, I kind of planned on, uh, putting the orange cab in the corner. And then if I ever sell the house, like whoever buys this house is getting that orange cabinet with it. <laughs> like comes with a refrigerator and that cabinet <laughs> uh, uh 
Uh, Jam and Ben says, catching the, my first ever live show. Cheers from Australia. Congratu- oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm glad you t- Congratulations. You did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here, buddy, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, okay. Um, oh, David Muna says Lubuga, Lubuga is an amp company, so it's not a guitar. Uh, so... Then I saw that amp. I didn't play through it. The, yeah, uh, I didn't, I think the only amp I played through at Henning's house was the Engel. And I played his Dirty Shirley 50 watt head, which I, or 40 watt head, which I absolutely loved. Uh, that's what made me want the Dirty Shirley 40 watt or the Twin Sister over my 20 watt because it's a little fuller sounding. I liked it. But yeah, I didn't try any of the other amps. So sorry. I thought it was one of those wacky guitars because again, all those brands are like I've brands I've never heard of. And those none of those companies deal with like American YouTubers. So uh so every time I talk to one of those brands, very nice companies, but yeah, they you know, they don't seem to you know, they they have their own market in Europe. So every time that's why I don't really pay attention to it. Every time I was talking to one, it was like they're not gonna send anything out to check out or do anything with, so there was no reason to research anything. And then Chronicle said the reason orange cabinets sound good is because they're heavy is because they sound good, vice versa, right? Is it, yeah, I agree with that. All right. How are we doing? I think we're good. Do we have any last-minute questions before I go? I, I, let me refresh and make sure I didn't miss it. Oh. Okay, so Mike... Corsac is Corsac. Mike is the last super chat. So let me do the super chats and then we'll hit some non super chats and we'll call it. Um, Planet says, Planet Solenki says, Ibanez, Floyd Rose, or Kaler Pro, which is easiest wiggle stick uh, to add to a non floating guitar, possibly for an Epiphone Nighthawk? You're talking about to install it, the Kaler's the easiest. You don't have to do a rear route. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. If I was, you know, going to pick which one I wanted to install, <laughs> it would be the Kaler. Now, I have templates for the Floyd. I've never installed an Ibanez tremolo, uh, f- like Floyd Rose style edge bridge in a guitar. Um, not in a not a non-Ibanez guitar. So I've never done it. So I don't even know. I would assume there's templates for it. But it's just a request that's never came through. It's nothing I've ever personally done. Floyd Roses, yeah, you install them from time to time. It's a typical thing. A lot of times with Floyd Roses, is not so much you're installing them. In my world, the majority of Floyd Roses I've installed over the years have been Floyd Rose change out. So in other words, they have like the cheaper ones. So I got to plug those posts, holes, you know, drill new posts, widen the spacing. You know what I mean? So you're just – because – Different Floyd Rose have different specifications and and their size and fit. Um, So that I've done. Kaler, though, is the easiest because, again, it's all top-mounted. Very, very cool. If I was going to suggest something to do. Kaler is one of those bridges where I have a Kaler. I have a Floyd Rose. Some people are diehard Kaler. Some people are diehard diehard Floyd Rose. Uh, I liken the issue of Flailer Flailer and Kaler. No, Flailer and K-Rose. Kaler and Floyd Rose. Um, there's things to like about both. Some people are, like I said, are diehard one or the other. I like both. Uh, and I never understood how Floyd Rose won other than Eddie Van Halen used them. And that makes some sense. But I always thought from all the other perspectives, it seems like the Kaler was the better better guitar uh, 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 bridge. And here's why when I say better, I mean easier to install, easier you know to maintain, 
And so it's weird that it didn't it didn't win out against Floyd Rose, but I do recommend it, and I I like it. I'd like to see it come back on more guitars, but it just seems like it never never lands right, never never wins. Uh, I Freeman one says, "Hey Phil, first time going to a to a tech to get my guitar set up. Any tips, suggestion, things to look for? Sure." Uh, like I said, diagnose your own guitars. Best advice I'll ever give anyone and is to do exactly that. So take some pictures of your guitars, of course, you know, like I said, not, you know, for a ton of reasons, but do that. But also, like I said, diagnose the problems, not just tell the problems. So like, uh, don't say like, you know, the action sucks. Like take some measurements, write some stuff down. Um, have, have an ability to be able to not only communicate your problems with that technician, but also a way to actually tell what the technician did other than just you pick it up and it plays great. Cause sometimes that's nice too. You don't need to know specifications. You play the guitar, it plays better. It's better. However, it's a lot nicer to know, you know what I mean? What they did. And you'll know what they did if you do some diagnostics on your own guitar. So like I said, take some measurements, take some visuals, look at the guitar, figure out the issue. So there you go. Uh, John did a super chat for no reason. And Mike says, Hey, Phil, are you, well, when I say John did it for no reason, I mean, he's just uh, tipping the channel. I shouldn't say no reason. That seems really rude. I apologize, John. Let me give you a credit for a second. Thank you so much for super chatting the channel. Uh, it's like, uh, yeah, I appreciate it is what I want to say. Mike says, Hey, Phil, are you seeing supply chain issues? Oh, hell yeah. I'm waiting six weeks for dirty Shirley 40 watt from Sweetwater, all places. Dude, this, well, I, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you for what I understand is the Dirty Shirley's, there's a problem right now getting transformers or something. And that's why, because trust me, I want the twin sister, same thing. They're not in stock anywhere. Um, and I know the Freeman guys <laughs> and even knowing them is not helping, you know, getting that they're, you know, they're trying to get, uh, amps to consumers. And so when those parts come in, they got to get them down to, to consumers. Um, so, so yeah, supply issues are everywhere. So, so you guys know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's epically bad out there for, I mean, so, so very clear, the wood problem is affecting our industry. So, I mean, you gotta understand that's happening. Cabinetry is more so than guitars, but it's happening right now. A lot of cabinet manufacturers in the U S are building cabinets at a cost that's equal to what they're selling us the cabinets. The thing I can tell you though, is when I've talked to a couple cabinet manufacturers across the U S companies that are building cabinets and head boxes and all kinds of stuff, they all say the same thing, even though they're not talking to each other, they all say the same thing that they're literally eating the cost of these, hoping that the wood problem gets fixed by the end of the year. The other problem. So, you know, is there's also steel issues. So the chassis. So again, when I talk to, um, when I talk to uh, ant manufacturers, again, they are out They're telling me they are right now they're getting hosed, but they are eating it because they had a great year last year and they're not sure where the market, you know, where this, all the supply chains are going to get fixed. So they're just eating it. And, uh, and, uh, if I was in the market, if I was you guys and I'm watching a channel like this and hearing stuff I'm saying to you, if you're in the market to get any of those things, uh, I'm not telling you they're going to go up. I'm telling you they coming down. So if you're, <laughs> so it's literally either buy, you know what I mean? There's, you know, buy it 
now is what I'm saying. Because like I said, it's not going to go down. It, it'll, it, may stay, it may stay the same, but it might go up. Um, so think about that. Yeah, and the resource thing, it just it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if the supply chains, are, as they get fixed, it's just, that's going to backfill, but it's not going to drop prices. So yeah, it's been a problem. What I've been trying to figure out is if it affects guitars. And when I talk to all the guitar manufacturer companies that I'm friends with, um, not as much. It's definitely the plywood, right? It's definitely like the home industry. Think about this. Everything that's hitting the home industry with supply chain, it's hitting the, the amp manufacturing as well. Same type of woods, but, um, you know, because they don't get the same, they don't get the the wood that they build houses from and stuff. Uh, they don't they don't buy that from the same suppliers, our same farms and stuff. They're getting a lot of the guitar woods from. So it's it's bad, but not as bad as what I get so far. But I will update you guys as we go. I've been trying not to do an official update because I'm still gathering information as we go, uh, so that we can be informed correctly and not just you know freaking out. <laughs> Let's not, not let's not freak out. Um, the other thing too, which I think ties into that question. Hold on, let me go back to it. Uh, oh, it's supply chain issues. Is copper is a problem too? So some of you guys know I make pickups, and getting copper has been a hell and back for the last year for me. Um, uh, it's just tough. It's tough. It, it, so so you know, we even talked about doing an official like a production run of pickups instead of just the small runs I typically do of pickups and. And uh, that was slotted for June first, and I is I literally I cannot get the materials as fast as I get orders. It just doesn't happen. So like everybody else, just same problems. And until that problem comes out, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I get to listen to 500 emails tell me about how you don't have a product. So I'm I'm slotting I'm slotting down to what I have. Whatever I have is what I'll make. So yeah, it's going to be a problem going to be a problem. I don't know when the, I don't know when the fix is coming or when it's going to work itself out, but I hope soon. Uh, don't know what I'm doing. All spaced wacky as hell. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, says uh, boss next tone special, our quilter avatar cub for blues, cranked tweed sound at home. Um, I like uh, both those brands. If I was picking one for myself, I'd pick the boss next tone special. I like the quilter stuff. I like the quilter stuff more when it was made in the USA. The most of it now has gone overseas. Nothing wrong with that in, in, in what it is and it's priced at. But again, so is the boss stuff. So it makes it more, to me, equal in that idea. You know what I mean? Um, and then sound-wise, they're, again, they're both comparable, very good quality stuff. But I, I like boss stuff and I like quilter stuff. But like I said, my, my inkling for a quilter was they were a California-based company. And that was exciting, you know, buying USA-made products. In fact, they were like the only Class D building. Well, they weren't building Class Ds. They were still getting those from Taiwan. But they were still building, you know, amps, solid-state technology amps in the U.S. And that was pretty cool. Uh, but, I, you know, like everybody, they've had to shift it. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So so that's my suggestion for you, if that helps. The Boss Next Tone or the Boss, uh, Boss Blues Cube. I like both those. Um, it says, uh, next time, go go get the edibles. Okay. Uh, thanks. So he's like, okay. So he's talking about when we talked about edibles last time, I still haven't done it again. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I'm all, I'm all talk when it comes to that stuff. I, I'm, I'm such a, I'm so, uh, adventurous in my talk, but then when I go to execute on that stuff, I don't do it. Uh, Mike's got a question. It's like a follow-up. I'm sure it says, Hey Phil, can you recommend a JB style pickup? That's just slightly darker. Oh, slightly darker. 
interesting because I kind of view the JB as kind of the dark version. So like I think of like a lot of like the custom custom stuff as being brighter versions of JB. Um, and the JB itself is kind of a darker pickup. Um, I'm going to say, and this is going to be the wackiest answer ever because I know it's going to get some pushback, but it's like, you got to understand, like I like the, the, the Eddie Halen pickups, the EVH Wolfgang pickups. They're not darker to me than the JB, but their voice very similar. So, you know, uh, but uh, the JB's darker. What I think of is being voice similar to those, but darker would be the tone zone by DiMaggio. I just don't know what the answer is in the Seymour Duncan pickup lineup. What's darker than the JB that has, that's like the same. I just don't think everything to me is like a little brighter. It has more kick. Uh, the lower output stuff is not the same voicing in my, to my ears as the JB, but the tone zone is a bassier. It's a darker sounding version of what's, you know, of what's based on that kind of platform. They're different, but that's, what, what I use it for. And again, I'm trying to give you what I use because then it's it's not just guessing and stuff. I use tone zones in guitars when I want something a little fuller sounding than the JB, but still want that kick. Um, okay, hold on a second. And then... Perfect time when I'm reading this. Okay, and then I know I said no more Super Chats, but Six String Steve did a Super Chat for no reason, or no reason being he wanted to tip the channel. I appreciate that, man. That was really, really kind of you. Um, and then I want to just talk about some of the stuff we're talking about before. Uh, Philip Pitt said the Duncan Distortion is nice. See, I like the Duncan Distortion as well, but I think of the Duncan Distortion as being more mids and more highs, but mostly more mids than the JB. Again, the JB to me is kind of a thumpy, darker sounding pickup, which is like why I like it. Chronicle says the JB is very bright. The custom is warmer. The custom could be, yeah, I could see where you perceive it that way. Sure. Why not? The JB is not a, what we consider a bright pickup though. When, when it's why so many think about this, the way you look at pickups is you think about the pickups and what they were designed to do. The JB was a pickup that was obviously used by so many musicians through Marshalls and Marshalls are bright and mid rangey. And so a lot of pickups like that would push the amps, but also thicken up the, the sound a little bit, which is why, uh, which is why so many players went to the JB. I mean, Eddie Van Halen was a JB fan too. I mean, everybody was a JB fan to me. There's, I've said this before, besides the, the path, right? The PAF, which is like the 59 pickups and the, and the 57 Seth Lover style pickups, right? So you have that lineage right there. And that's, and to me, almost one in and of itself. This is the way I just kind of stream it down, you know, right? Because it gets, pickups can make you crazy. As, as you know, I have almost all of them at some point and they can make you crazy, but you got to think about things in this context that I think makes more sense. Think about it in the majority con concept you have all these PAF style pickups and then you have this JB pickup and then you have this super distortion and those three pickups essentially are in my opinion every tone that you could possibly want to get out of a humbucker for the most part so in other words if you had a JB and again people are going to have opinions and that's good <laughs> good for them but I'm telling you if you have a PAF of some style right a JB or a JB voice type pickup and a super distortion or type pickup. Um, and, and that even includes like the Bill Lawrence pickups, which are again, kind of to me, not like the super distortion, but in that vein, those three pickups, if I had those three pickups, I mean, literally 
thousands of iconic albums, hit songs, tons of sounds created with those three styled pickups or those three actual pickups to where you can get a lot of stuff. And then after that, just like everything with gear, we start breaking down into finer lines and it just gets so crazy. And it's beautiful because you can find every little nuance. But those three pickups really do cover a lot of territory because those three pickups are literally the territory that was covered. You know what I mean? They were used for all these you know, amazing albums. So so again, different different styles of pickups. <laughs> Poon Ninja says the Invader. Invader's another great pickup. Totally different though, right? Those de- those pole pieces are really great. In fact, so you know, you can simulate the Invader by putting uh, a, a a block of metal like on top of your slugs on your pickups. There was a company back in the '80s that did that. They made these like lightning bolt looking metal plates, and they would put them on top of pickups. Um, one of the pickups I make, which is called the Copperhead, it. Uh, what it does is it does the same thing. A tel- it's, a, it's for a strap, but what it does is just like a tele pickup. I use a, a steel plate. It's, it looks copper because it's copper plated steel and it goes underneath. And then I solder a ground wire to it. And then I wrap the pickup with a nylon wrapped braid around the, around the wire. So I use nylon tape. And then I put a copper foil around that and then i solder a wire to the copper foil to insulate it and then i wrap that and all and that pickup which is about 8.9 k when i do that which again i didn't change the magnets alnico alnico fives i'm using the same amount of wraps when i add that plate and when i wire it that way i take it from 8.9 to 8.21 k so again um again uh you'll notice that it's it's even though it's more resistance it actually adds a little bit more magnetic power because again it's all different layers of of things we have to manage here we have to figure out how much magnetic energy the pickup has and what's the resistance i mean and what type of gauge wire i mean there's so much with pickups that it's a little tricky but think about that and that's what the invaders do too those big little slugs man they make a big difference uh they do because they change the magnetic field which changes a lot of things so, <laughs> giant slugs are cool. Blade pickups are also cool. Again, and sometimes different magnet, uh, different magnets, right? We're using, um, and that's where, like I said, it gets a little tricky because it's not. And then we'll end on this note. It's not only that's not only weird because different magnets have different sounds. Like Alnico Five and Alnico Two and Alnico Eight, and of course there's others, but those are three biggies. If you're using slugs right? Slug magnets, they sound different from each other. But if you use bar magnets, like an Alnico 5 bar magnet versus an Alnico slug magnet, those two magnets sound different than each other if you're using the pickup, even though the same. So sometimes knowing something's an Alnico 5 tells you nothing if it does, because if you don't know, not only you know what type of magnet, but you need to know how much of the magnets being used. Because again, that changes things. Um, Tampa blue says, do they make shilling tape for pickups? Not that I've seen. I just did this. This is something I do. Uh, but when I say I did this, I never want to miss mislead anyone. Everything I do is just like everyone else. It's something, it's all the things I've seen and worked with. And I pick and choose things that I liked and put them together and go, that didn't work. And I picked another combination of things and I go, that works. And this is just something I find works. Uh, and the reason is I had to insulate the, um, the coils, be, uh, the coil, because adding that damn plate on the back of the pickup really like a Telecaster really part starts punching <laughs> with the sound, which is great, but it got a little, uh, uh, like a little wild, you know what I mean? So I learned to fix it 
That's how I learned to fix it. Again, everybody's up to something. You always, like I said, no, you know. But at this point, almost everything's somewhere rehashed versions of rehashed versions of rehashed versions. So. Let's see. And then I'm not old vintage is saying a bunch of stuff. And again, this is the same. I, I get it. I'm not old and vintage. He's saying you're measuring di- uh, the difference between inductance, inductive resistance, and not quite the same as resistance. This is the problem with all this stuff when it comes to pickups. There are, uh, let's say, to still make things easy in an analogy, let's say there's a thousand things that make a difference in a pickup, but there is only two or three things that literally are consistent. You know what I mean? So like I said, you can change all these things that we plug and play with when you talk to pickups and it's going to change all these minor parameters. But essentially, there are some basic things that are going to be consistent. Like for instance, 42 gauge enamel wire wrapped 6,000 times with this magnet. You know what I mean? It's going to have a certain, you know, if you say, in other words, if you use that same enamel wire uh, or and, and that gauge, with the same type of magnet, no matter what you do, there's going to be some consistencies that you're going to see over and over again. So yes, but you can't, I don't want to say you can't oversimplify it or you can't make it hard. The problem is, is you can make somebody crazy when it comes to talking about pickups and essentially not say a whole lot. That's what I'm basically getting at, right? If I tell you all the ingredients that goes into just one pickup and I go, okay, now you know, it's a little overwhelming for a lot of people, but keep in mind that out of all those ingredients, eight of those 10 really had a very minor effect over the ore sound. So it's very, it's, it's not dangerous in pickups to be very general. Like for instance, when we use resistance, when we just put them on a meter, that doesn't tell you anything unless you know what kind of magnets being used with that. So a lot of times saying, Hey, this is, you know, 8k versus 9k doesn't tell you a whole lot if you don't know the magnet uh, or the gauge of wire even. However, um, Generally speaking, you will be 90% right 90% of the time, just not 100% right. And it depends if that bugs you or not. But in a world of the internet where you've got to have people not only retain information or hear information, but retain it, you can't overcomplicate things. It'll just t- you start talking over everybody's heads and they go crazy. So Tam says, I looked online. They do make shielding tape. Yeah, for pickups, right? That was your question, like specifically for pickups. Like I said, I use, I just buy spools of shielding tape and cut it. So uh, if they do make it specific, it wouldn't work for me anyways, because I, I buy massive spools of this stuff. But let me know if somebody's already cutting it for it, that width, with I, the width of a bobbin uh, and doing it in a spool, that would be great <laughs> and, and cheap. Because again, I have to buy lots of this stuff. Yeah, Poo Ninja says the ears will tell you the most about the sound. It's a it's a perfect example. I have this problem all the time, as you know, the the whole know your gear philosophy, which is not to speci- do specifications, but to understand things by actually touching, tasting, reacting. Right? That's how you know stuff. You you know what I mean? Your experience of it. Um, when I do reviews, I try to give you some specs, but I find sometimes people get really focused on that stuff. And at the, ultimately, I try to use my my words in a very, not only appropriate way, but in a very telling way, which is, if you notice, I say this all the time in the videos, I'll say, uh, you know, here are the specifications. And then I go, but, 
We won't know the real truth until we hear it and then I play it. And that really tells you more. You know what I mean? What, you know, listening, listening. Even through a YouTube video, sometimes listening tells you a lot of what you need to know. Like you said, your ears will guide you. Um, it's why I said I, I, I would love to do this video. It was something I worked on many times and it never came to fruition. And then COVID kind of uh, ruined it even more. But I was trying to do a video and I had a couple YouTube channels that were great that were lined up to help me with it. And, and, uh, and uh, this is the cool idea. The idea was take somebody like me, which is a guitar tech, just as average Joe guitar tech person, but obviously I know my way around the instrument, and take a player, right? Uh, a channel that's not a tech channel, but a channel that's like a playing channel, right? They know how to play the guitar. And here's my theory. Send us both into a store and have us pick the five best guitars in the store. This is the video I've been trying to work on, but then like I said, COVID killed it. And the question would be, even though I would be diagnosing things and looking at things and figuring it out, would I pick the same guitars as someone who just picked it up and just through playing their sensibilities would do it? And this is why I want to do the video. I find that to be the case every time. Tyler Larson was the first channel I ever interacted with where I'd learned this and I saw this in, in, in real time. I watched him not really know specifications of something, but literally come to the same decision as me very quickly, just from his experience of playing. You know what I mean? He plays, you know, obviously he plays very well. Well, so he played it and he's like, yep, this is right. Where I was like, <laughs> I was looking at it to figure out if it's right and diagnosing it. So, um, uh, so, so anyways, uh, um, so like I said, well, hopefully maybe one day we'll do a video like that. It'll be interesting. Cause I think the, the, I think the result will be, what I think it is, I think you don't have to know any specifications of any guitars to know if it's right just by picking it up. All right. On that note, we're going to call it. We did two hours. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, I like doing these from time to time. These, these, uh, like I said, what I call the European, European friendly time zone ones. Uh, let more people come in, let different people come in. And uh, it was really cool. I appreciate everyone who showed up and asked questions. Um, so... Uh, and there was one last little thing I saw and it just worked out, which was, um, uh, two questions actually. One was, uh, somebody asked me about shielding paint versus tape. Uh, I like shielding paint, uh, for cavities because it's fast. And like I said, in my world, uh, money is time. You know what I mean? So if I can shield the cavity in 10 minutes painting it with shielding tape. And it's usually a little longer than that, but cause you got to do multiple coats, you know, over, but uh, it's better and faster for me. And I like the result, but I don't necessarily go, Oh, it's better than tape by any means. It's just cutting tape out. And, and here's why a lot of times we got to think, you got to think differently. So, you know, here's why we got to think differently. A lot of times if you get tape and you tape off your cavities, you're just going to do it. I need it to present well, so not only when I do repairs, do I have to do a repair? I have to present it to somebody as a product. Like in other words, you paid me to do this and they open up the cavity and I just slap tape everywhere. And sure, I covered everything, but it looks like ass. That doesn't bode well for me, right? They need it to look nice. So a lot of times it's, again, it's about my time. I need something to be effective in the time, but also to present well. So it looks like I 
you know, I, I did a good job, right? Because, you know, you, you know, hearing it, not make noise should be the result, but that's not how people think. People think like, what does it look like? How did he spend in my guitar doing stuff? So, so that's why another reason why I picked that. It's not any other particular reason than that. Like I said, I don't really have a prefer preference of that. Uh, and then uh, Daryl says, have you ever done videos of your pickups? Yes and no. Um, a lot of the pickup videos I did, and a Sharp and Max videos, uh, those are my pickups in those videos, but not like comparative videos and stuff. And I had a, uh, the last run of pickups I did, I went to do a video. The problem is, is just the, the pickups sold out before I even had a chance to do the video. <laughs> it's not what I predicted to happen. So, you know, uh, it was kind of like, okay, you know, sometimes I leak stuff, you know, right? We have ways to leak stuff. I leaked stuff. And then I was like, okay, and then the plan was release the video. I have the video. I'm not releasing it because all it's going to do is, is create a problem of, I, even if it's only two people that say, Hey, I want to get a set of pickups. I'm like, I, I don't have any, so <laughs> I don't have anything to do. So, uh, it'd be like me reviewing a guitar and going, Hey, here's a guitar. Oh, by the way, you can't get one right now. Cause, uh, you know, uh, there's no supply, like kind of like the dirty Shirley we were talking about, you get supply chain issues. So, um, so there you go. All right. <laughs> All right. Some of you guys' comments are hilarious. I love them. All right. On that note, I'm gonna let you guys go. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. Uh, and also I want to thank all of you. I want to thank the three string bass right here. Oh, three string bass for, why can't I point like these cameras are so wacky. Like if you guys have ever done a live thing like this, it is the mirror effect is so strange that you can't figure out even which arm you're lifting. <laughs> So thanks again for three string bass for sponsoring. Thank you guys for supporting the channel as always. Thank you guys so much for your time till the next time. Know your gear. <laughs>